On this week's episode, we have Chris Federspiel, CEO and founder of Blackthorn.io, the leading events and payments platform built on Salesforce.com. We live in a world where sensationalism is rewarded. Single pursuit entrepreneurs get all the attention while perhaps everyday founders are not given the limelight they deserve. You hear of the brilliant first attempt success stories of product market fits and the ease with which founders are able to raise unimaginable capital. Well, Chris is a little different. Chris is an entrepreneur by way of introspection into what he liked and what he didn't like. He didn't like authority, but he loved taking risks. He didn't like being told what to do, but he did like creating things. But So now he is the CEO of a 30-person-plus company doing seven-digit revenue and is continuing to grow. If you've ever wondered what a company would look like with a CEO who wants to treat everyone the way he wants to be treated, look no further than Blackthorn. Here's an example. Chris wanted to spend one Friday biking and working on his health. He imagined others at the company might enjoy that idea of time off also. So he decided, as a company policy, to have every other Friday off. There are so many more examples like this for those who work with Chris. Chris's story is certainly a lesson in grit and resilience, but it's also one of compassion and grace as he works to make those around him feel great about the work they do. I hope you enjoy this episode. So let's start from the very beginning. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, what childhood was like for you. Curious how transparent to be. Uh, as I, much I as you need in, to be. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in the suburbs of uh, Philadelphia and Bucks County. I lived there till I was nine. And then I moved to Westchester, about an hour above Manhattan. I uh, was there till I was 16 and then moved to Central Jersey. Um, not not the warmest childhood. Uh, my 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 father was very good at saving money for us. Um, not really good at other things. I'll put it this way: I've been in I've been in therapy for six years, two sessions a week. So I have like six hundred sessions. My mom, uh, not not the most loving. Uh, so it's created a lot of anxiety for me, which I still have, which I think has pushed me to want to move faster in the company with this. My dad um, started pretty low as like an orderly at a hospital and then ended up when he retired running a hospital with like 1,500 employees. And I, I guess I kind of watched him do that. But from, uh, from New Jersey, I then went to college in, uh, in DC at George Washington. Um, I failed our, my finance classes, which is ironic because now I manage the finances. Um, but I had like a weird major in entrepreneurship, but uh, I always was into computer stuff. So uh, I have a bipolar too, and it kind of led me to uh, sequestering myself uh, in front of my computer. So it was like a safe space amongst a non-loving household away from people. So I, I uh, basically sat on my computer from like sixth grade through ninth grade uh, and just put new operating systems on and was writing Perl CGI scripts for a friend doing hourly work. Uh, a website company used to come and pick me up like an internet service provider that had clients. They picked me up and 
freshman year of high school and I would make all of their customer websites using weird Java applet inserts. And um, so I was always on the technical architecture side from a declarative standpoint of computers. I was always a very crappy developer so I can read and understand code, but I'm very slow and terrible at it. And I took a hiatus from computers for a long time and went back into it in 2011, where um, I worked at Internet Creations. I told my friend to pay me 30K to cover my base costs. And then I started to learn Salesforce stuff from a technical perspective. And then I was also doing sales and marketing and, and it kind of blossomed from there. So when you were growing up doing all this computer stuff, did you have any idea as to what you want, wanted to be when you grew up from a career sense? For whatever reason, uh, I never really got along with authority. Uh, I was always arguing with my mom. Uh, I haven't talked to my dad in four or five years. My mom, I've seen her once in the last three or four years. I think because of that, I always wanted to start my own company because I just really don't like reporting to people. I don't, mm. I don't really get along with managers very well. Um, so I've tried to shape our company in the way that I wanted to be treated at other companies with as much transparency as possible and autonomy. But And I knew I really enjoyed computers, but I never had this deep urge to run a software company. I thought I wanted to own real estate buildings at some point, and I had two property management jobs and just utterly hated it. Uh, but I once Salesforce came out and they gave me the ability to be technical without having to write code, I think it was a natural fit. And um, I, did, uh, I did two years at internet creations, a year and a half at Silverline, they fired me, long story, but they fired a bunch of people, other people left. Um, and then I had three months of savings and started an implementation services company by myself and then partnered with another guy and grew it. And that became like a natural kind of way to push it. And I had a number of failed startups before then. So I think I just love the idea of taking risks and not having to report to someone. I think that was the, the basis of what I knew when I was younger that I wanted to do. Yeah, and so let's kind of dive into those specific points because I know on your LinkedIn, there's more than meets the eye, right? And so after college, uh, what did you think that you were gonna do to start making a living? And um, what were some of the internal dialogue that you had uh, from a career standpoint after you had graduated from college at George Washington? I loved cars. I had a Subaru WRX. I did a lot of work on it and I reached out to 60 different distribution car part manufacturer people. Uh, I sent letters to all of them, zero responded. Um, I then could get a job nowhere. I sold copying machines then for a year and a half. Hated that. Did customer service at uh, GM for three months, was a assistant manager at Pier 1 Imports for a few months. Um, then I got a property management job in, in uh, Manhattan, moved to Manhattan, hated that. And then I reported 100 
videos on how to use Microsoft Word and Excel and PowerPoint and got a DVD made. This is when the internet was slow and crappy. And uh, uh, sold everything I had, moved to Asia, thought I was gonna stay there forever. Um, and tried to launch this company, travel around different countries. Company failed terribly. Uh, then ended up coming back to the US, worked at a property management company again. They asked me to lie, boss was literally yelling at me across the floor multiple times. I just got up and, and left and didn't come back. That was your last day. That was my last day. <laughs> and I, I tried to start a few other things in between then, like I passed out flyers to fix people's computers inside of a neighborhood that didn't really work. Um, I don't know. There, there are a number of things. Basically, I just kept failing over and over and I didn't really huh. learn much until I built up the skill set with Salesforce and I actually had something valuable to contribute. And along the way, um, I had to implement these payment products that were available on the Salesforce app exchange and all the ones I implemented, they needed so much dev work to do basic things. So I thought like, I think I have an idea how to do this easier so people don't have to do all this dev work. And at the time, no one integrated with Stripe. So it was like a no brainer, just make it easier to use Stripe product and get it out there. And that kind of started this. So that's the early workings of, of Blackthorn, which is, you know, you, you saw a problem yourself and then you developed it to productize it. And then now that's what you're, you, that's what you have. Um, a lot of people, when they start out entre entrepreneurship, they are keen on saying things like, hey, I'm passionate about X, Y, Z, and wanted to make that available for other people. And that's how they became an entrepreneur. Uh, for you and for other folks of similar bent, it seems like you just hated reporting to somebody, being told what to do, um, and you're very risk-friendly. Uh, Would you say that for you, your journey towards entrepreneurship is one that's made from... Um, just not wanting to report to anyone, uh, just hating that environment um, and finding what worked so that you, that you can work for yourself. It, it sounds like you've dabbled in a lot of different things um, to find the quote unquote product market fit, but those are pretty unrelated from, from one another. Yeah, I mean, unless someone's doing something in, in science, uh, like working with physics or something in physical product engineering, I don't think most entrepreneurs are really passionate about the, the product itself. Mm -hmm. Like no one grows up thinking like, I want to make the best event management product that's ever been made. Like no one, no one does that. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but I think, and I know for myself that I love doing this because the challenges are really hard. Um, initially it was the challenge of, uh, keeping the company afloat with cash because we never really raised. Uh, <laughs> rough. <laughs> and then um, trying to find technical ways to solve where other people, in my opinion, didn't make it as easy as it could have been. Uh, mm -hmm. And that to me was really interesting. Um, it just so happened to become with events and payments and I, and I don't think anyone in the company is exceedingly passionate about having the best event product. And I, I would challenge anyone that's mm -hmm. running a vendor payment company that are passionate about that. I think people are more passionate about, okay, you're using this thing. How do we make it the easiest possible? 
so that it delivers a lot of value to people and they actually enjoy using it, which I think is a concept that applies to anything. But yeah, originally it was about just not having to report to anyone, being able to control my destiny because that, as an employee at a company, contributions are not necessarily tangible. You never really get to see what comes out of something. And it's never really been about the money for me. Like all of my friends were making significantly more money for many, many, many years. And to me, it was just more important to be able to create something that was my own. Yeah. The, the new problems are, I still love doing the technical piece. I'm trying to hire people at the company now to do all the commercials so I can just focus on the tech side. But now the challenges are more about scaling, getting the right people in and moving as fast as we can with the cash available and putting resources into the right products. So that's the part I'm enjoying the most now. And I just got very good news yesterday. My 501c3 private foundation got um, approved by the IRS. It's uh, amazing. Right, for tax-free status. <laughs> and uh, um, uh, we've already had some offers to buy the company. It's enough money to not work again. And I figure by that point, like, okay, I don't, I live in this like, Crap studio. I am moving in with my girlfriend to a nicer place uh, <laughs> in a few months. But um, the bulk of my equity will go into this uh, 501c3 to then uh, fund people with like basic needs in developing countries. Mm. Um, but, but at this point, it's more about the challenge of scaling and getting the tech right rather than trying to have an optimal outcome for the money. Because if we had it today, what am I going to do? And I, I think most people that are running a company they just want to make more money. I think like there's never enough money. Uh, <laughs> it's not the same with everybody, but yeah, I don't know. I think I'm just rambling now. No, no, no. So, I mean, going back to your initial um, foray into entrepreneurship where you started making money, how did you get to a point where you first understood the relationship between what you're creating is what other people can, are willing to pay for? Like at what point did that make, did that become a reality for you? Um, it never really clicked like that because I always knew the demand because it wasn't like we were creating Uber. Like no one had done that before, but even they knew people would pay for it. It's not like taxis didn't exist mm. made Uber. Like there were other payments and events apps out there. We knew people used them. And in the world, if you can make something incrementally better, eventually someone's going to use it and enjoy it. Like, why mm. would they? So that, that wasn't really what it was. It was more about like having a product that we could release that was stable because a lot of companies that have products that uh, make a lot of money, their products have problems. Um, and that really never comes out publicly until someone uses it or you see attrition and so that, that was the part that was more interesting. And the, the initial goal was to get a million ARR. And when we hit a million ARR, I couldn't have cared less. Mm. And what I tell our team on our company meetings every month is, um, I read this in the book, Dune, uh, just paraphrasing that from the base of the mountain, you can see the mountaintop, but from the mountaintop, you can no longer see the mountain. And it, it more or less to me means the fun is in the journey. It's not actually achieving the goal, which is why I'm, it's not about hitting a certain dollar amount or something. It's just, I want to see how fast and far we can take it 
because uh, that to me is more of the fun in the in the challenge. And would you say that that would still be feasible running it on your own terms, reaching the mountain to, or the, enjoying the journey to get there if you had raised money and capital the way that other organizations have? Because to me, you know, the difference is pretty stark where I see companies who have raised money, they're being told by the board or other influences to go as fast as you can, you know, knock down walls and, and, and reach the mountaintop. But to you, it sounds like, hey, scaling is a challenge. That's fun. Uh, growing the company and maturing the product and making it better for people to use is fun. That's, what's excite that's what excites you and, and gets you up in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I, I get emailed one to two times a week with someone wanting to give us money, uh, generally in the form of investment from, from very well-known uh VCs or, or types of investors. And uh, everyone I've talked to that has investors, sure, there's different styles that people have, but they all have to do quarterly reports. They all have board meetings. Um, there's, there's, I've talked to people that wanted to sell the company and the, the investors have blocked it. Um, uh, it, it decreases the size of the exit significantly. Mm. So if we had like a 250 million exit and we were funded with a few rounds, that would be the same for me personally as like a 60 or 70 million exit. It just, it's different. Uh, there's no drive for us to capitalize on any one metric, like our customer acquisition costs or our, our margin coming out of our EBITDA. It's like, it's none of it matters. So, so we're closely aligned with uh, capchase.com mm -hmm. uh, where we have a, a sizable, they don't call it a line of credit, but it's just how I think of it. Uh, we have a pretty sizable line, uh, which is allowing us to hire significantly ahead of our revenue now, which also helps me to be able to sleep uh, <laughs> at night, which is, <laughs> which is good. Um, because in doing that, uh, I still don't have to report to anyone. And as long as we, um, pay at or above market, give everyone stock options, give people the ability to, um, have more personal life and treat people well, then, uh, I think people won't care so much of my opinions of where I want us to go. As long as they're, we're all aligned on a mission and they're treated well, and then I don't need to have someone telling me what to do because it's i just enjoy it more. yeah to to kind of dig into that point how did you learn to run your company in the way that you're doing today for example you know where did you learn the finance piece where did you learn the, learn the operational components the go-to-market strategy um uh, basically you know there is no book that tells you hey ceo 101 and so but it sounds like, you know, throughout your journey, you picked up things on your own pretty quickly, right? You were a, a kid uh, picking up coding languages to uh, build websites for other people. Um, so I can see that you were like a natural learner. How did you learn the parts of being a CEO um, that's made you successful today? Um, it's a good question. Uh... I think I'm, I'm mediocre at most things. 
And I, I think uh, having to dive into most things helps me understand what it means to be really good at it. So now when we interview people, I try to listen for people that are significantly better at something than I ever was. Mm. Um, I think the thing that I'm best at is uh, being very anal retentive about the user experience of something. Mm. <laughs> um, everything else in the company, other people are, are much better at. Uh, I was never very good at sales or marketing or customer support or, or uh, especially finance. I was never really good at any of that. Um, and I think the way that I've, I've learned is by making countless mistakes. Um, I've upset a lot of people along the way, um, but I'm very fortunate that a lot of the people that we've hired have stuck here. And uh, I'm very transparent with our team with financials. So everybody knows what we're looking at. Um, the only thing I've ever cared about is having cash in the bank mm. because as long as that's still there, then the company will keep going. And I, I think a lot of uh, founders don't really talk about cash in the bank much. They're mm. more obsessed with the next round and all their growth metrics. And uh, I mean, if everybody talks about it, it doesn't really matter. I think that the hard thing, though, is um, Elon Musk talks about it a lot, how Tesla almost died December 24th, I what year it was, because he, he almost missed a payroll. Mm. We, at the end of 2018, we had 7K in the bank account, I think in September, with an 80K monthly outflow. Like, that was, it was horrible. So we had to make all these changes very, very quickly. Um, like I, I wasn't sleeping. I was crying mm -hmm. at night over and over. I was pitching investors at the launch accelerator. I pitched a hundred investors and every single person said, no, we converted our payments app, which at the time was free to become paid. We had someone, uh, prepay for, uh, six months of the app with the time that was just monthly. And, uh, I, that was just a miserable time. And I think it's something that CEOs just, they just don't really talk about much and mm. part of the call by saying how do you make it so that people don't feel lonely it's really hard i felt really lonely like uh the employees they won't get it i said hey like we're having a hard time i need people to take voluntary salary deductions mm. um i already let these three people go that were from before it long story the other people that were there were excellent i said i i don't want to let any of you go you got you got to stay so I had this therapist I've been talking to a lot. Someone can get a career coach. It doesn't matter. It just needs to be someone that understands psychology that's not mm -hmm. part of the business. And then having other people to go to that know a lot about the business. Um, I have an open email dialogue with uh, Paul English, another bipolar founder, the, the kayak.com uh, founder. Mm. And occasionally I'll email him with things that I just I really can't wrap my head around. And I think it helps to have some person or a few people to just get a response from. It mm. almost doesn't matter what their response is, as long as the ability is there to, to share that it sucks mm. and to hear from someone else, like, just, just don't give up. Like, the, there's only one thing I've learned from all this is that, like, I can quit tomorrow. And that's it. Like, well, the, the pain goes away. It's like, if someone's squeezing your arm, the moment they let go, it, it stops. But if I keep going, it doesn't mean it's going to work. 
but it does mean there might be more pain, but it's the best chance that, that it has. Wow. And so you're saying that for you in those moments of pain, when you are sharing your, your experience, you are, and you get a response back, you know, it doesn't have to be the best advice in the world, but you are communicating this with someone who's done it before that has some sense of how you're feeling and what you're, what you're going through has really helped you get out of that, that funk. Uh, it helps. So, so that part is emotional and subjective. The other piece is cash. <laughs> Cold, hard cash. The, the, the company dies if there's no money. So getting better at financial planning has, has helped significantly. And I, I've reviewed FP&A tools. I've done everything conceivable. Nothing really works for me, at least. So there's this giant Google sheet connected to other Google sheets that have subscriptions from companies that have a hiring plan that have actual compensations tied to salary forecasts. Uh, and that now like provides a much greater level of comfort where a services company doesn't really have this luxury because it's very much chicken or the egg of getting a deal and hiring people with an app company. The problem is initially there's no revenue, but then once there's revenue, then financial planning becomes a lot easier. So now it's much easier than it used to be. Whereas when we started, we looked much more like a services team. Mm -hmm. We got fortunate by getting a 50K deal, 150K deal, a 250K deal. And this would provide like months of runway. Mm -hmm. Know that at the end of that runway, you're dead. Like there's mm -hmm. nothing. And that was very, very, very stressful. Because you have to keep getting those deals in order for the company to stay afloat. And these are not right. like a subscription-based uh, engagement. So after the engagement, the scope of work is finished, you have to go look for a similar, similar work. Exactly. You're, you're in the black from day one as a services company, but it's, it can be a rat race if you haven't done it before. It's really hard. So with product, it's understandable that initially people raise, if they don't have that luxury or luck of having initial services companies where you, or services clients where you keep the IP, but you get revenue, but it, it still doesn't make it easy. So let's talk about your, your company today. Um, Tell us a little bit about the, the focus of Blackthorn payments, events planning. It's an app. What is the ultimate goal for, for the product in the next year or two? So um, I read this book. I forget who, I forget who writes every book. Uh, it's called <laughs> Vivid Vision. And uh, you read people's mission statements and vision statements. And it, like, it doesn't really tell you anything about what they're planning and executing. Mm. The concept of Vivid Vision is that you write a long document that's overarching the company and then department by department of what you want headcount and function to look like in three years. More than that is too far. Less than that is not really operational. And mm. So in three years, what I want us to look like is uh, uh, focusing on events. And the reason that people, in my opinion, have events is to network and to learn slash distribute information. The problem that organizations have is that in between running the events, their interaction with their audience disappears. So virtual events has helped people bridge that because it's a lot easier to do a webinar than in-person stuff, but there's still gaps in between. So the vision then is to upfront, it's to deliver a few niche features. 
our virtual event feature set and our mobile attendee app. None of this is a mystery. Other companies have done it. Zero people are doing it with Salesforce as the system of record in the core database. It provides mm -hmm. very unique uh, technical challenges with that. Um, but then after that, there has to be this way to bring people together in between these events. So where we're going to be going is to have this authenticated space where you can chat with like uh, interest groups, sort of like a combination between like a Twitch or a Discord and a, and a Reddit where you can have topics, communicate what's of interest, where it's somewhat moderated by people at the company. And um, we've worked closely with a, for a long time with an association called the Interactive Advertising Bureau. And they're trying to create this digital channel that effectively does that. And I heard another uh, event CEO, I forget who it was, it was a, a woman, uh, which is uncommon for event CEO, but Julia Hartz did a great job at Eventbrite too, mm -hmm. where um, it more or less said this too. So there's this gap in between having all the events and then keeping people connected. So that's, that's where I want us to go. We have a payments product that's very mature. We get the same amount of leads inbound from both apps. It's exceptionally hard with the go-to-market strategy. Mm. Uh, it's a big green space on Salesforce, but there isn't a clear vertical that you can hit. Mm. SaaS companies, their services, their people that send payment links, they do mobile apps, they have subscriptions, it's kind of all over. So it's more infrastructure where for Stripe, they just said like, hey, uh, it's easy to integrate our product. Okay, great. But they're initially um, uh, infrastructure. So they went after SaaS as an initial thing. Salesforce, it's kind of hard to do that, but it's long story. So events, it's much clearer with go to market and it's uh, uh, a clear uh, product roadmap of where we need to deliver. So the future of where we're trying to go is that um, if we can get 100% year-over-year growth from approximately now, it puts us around 35 ARR, give or take. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be uh, quite hard to get there given by what we've, uh, mm -hmm. what, what we've planned. So the vivid vision is, is twofold. It's around product functionality to deliver those small things to then have this cohesive uh, communication of the brand between their audience, as well as hitting these revenue targets. And behind the revenue target comes by increasing the average deal size and then uh, getting significantly more customers. And for now, our uh, focus is around the .org side of Salesforce, which is mm -hmm. around um, higher ed, because we're a very natural lend there to what we currently have. Uh, as well as working with associations and nonprofits because they basically all need events. So after that, then there's a big dot-com commercial side of the, of the you know, basically the world of business that we then are picking out a few verticals uh, now as far as the, the focus, where features going and, and revenue. Very interesting, very interesting. The event space is particularly interesting to me because my wife works at Salesforce as an events manager. <laughs> and so I, I hear this all the time. Um, and certainly through the shift from the in-person to virtual, um, a lot of what she does is execution. So a lot of operational efficiencies. Um, she's in charge with like, you know, the major events at Salesforce, the, the COA clubs and all, all the major employee events she runs. Um, and so it's really fascinating to hear kind of your take on uh, the space today. Um, we have about, you know, six minutes. So I want to be respectful here. You run your company in a very interesting way where not only are you, you know, focused on the product, the, the growth, the revenue targets, but you're also very keen on 
making the employee experience stellar. And, and you're not making it stellar by, hey, we're advertising uh, free lunches or snacks. I think you, are, you lean more towards employee freedom, autonomy, as well as you're getting shit done. This is your pl- the place for you. You, t- you give employees every other Friday it's off, uh, 401k matching, which company of your side, it's unheard of. And so what has led you to, I mean, we talked a little bit about, you know, you want to be running a company where you want to be the employee of um, and given the, all, all the freedoms. What are some of the inspirations for you to do this for your employees? And what have you heard from your employees that really made you continue to double down on this, um, this, this benefit package for your, for your people? Uh, some of it's selfish for employee retention, but I have a lot of friends who run similar size companies who have very high salaries. Uh, so if I don't have a very high salary, cause I, I frankly don't really care, uh, mm. then it gives a lot of play of money that can go towards helping employees. So we just started this thing where you have the option of paying down uh, student debt or contributing to children's, uh, 529, uh, college. Mm-hmm. We have the annual company trip, uh, where we fly in people from everywhere. Uh, we're in 15, 20 States and in a bunch of countries um, where people can come meet. Everybody has stock options because at, at this point, it, it's, you know, if and when we sell, it's, it's already enough money for me. So I, I don't need more. So uh, I, I, I think what I wanted at other companies is to, to, to really enjoy this. And for, for example, I love riding my bicycle. So I wanted to do that on Fridays. And I'm like, wait a minute, pro- people probably also want to do this too. So we came like... <laughs> So that, that's how this every other Friday thing started Interesting. Uh, where there's uh, in France, they do 35 hours a week. It's technically like 40, but they take an hour lunch breaks. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, there's one Scandinavian country or maybe it's the Netherlands. It's not Scandinavia, but some country there where uh, they, they do 30 hours a week now, or it's Monday to Thursday period. I, I think uh, there's a, a big push um, towards, towards enjoying life, uh, a good bit more and um, work has to be enjoyable because that's where the bulk of time uh, goes but as long as you get everything done like why does it have to be a specific amount of of time and why is it more money um, going back to people like if we give one percent of revenue to stripe climate change initi- initiatives I mm-hmm. think companies that give away one percent of profit is kind of baloney because there's so many ways to <laughs> finagle what what profit yeah. really means um, but I, I think that the, to answer your question, it's, it's a mix of, um, the, the, the person running the company doesn't try to maximize how much money they get, uh, at all mm-hmm. times mixed with also trying to retain employees through autonomy in life. People want more control of their domain. Uh, some people don't want zero control because it's too much risk. They want like some kind of structure. But people want some degree of control, and then they also want to just be treated fairly. So I, I think that's what we try to do. Awesome, Chris. One last question to wrap it up, and I ask this to everybody on, on the show. If you were to give an advice to your younger self, what would it be? Start seeing a therapist much earlier. Um, <laughs> it, it, took, it took me a very long time to figure out how to manage my bipolar too. 
to learn that I had to start meditating, stop drinking, keep consistent sleep schedule, exercise regularly. Because I didn't do these things, I ended up significantly hurting a lot of relationships, making knee-jerk decisions, um, more or less self-destructing. So, so my early advice uh, would, would be more around that. I had tremendous trouble studying in college, uh, big trouble with early um, uh, uh, loving relationships, big trouble with friend relationships. Uh, I never sat still. I traveled all over the place. It, it was a mess. And I think if I worked on the foundation first, it would have helped everything else.